2: I'm your host, Phil Briggs. I'm a Navy veteran, and every week I get a chance to look at the issues of the day through the eyes of my fellow military vets. My goal every week is simple, bring you something informative and something that will inspire the hell out of you. This is the news and stories about the veteran lifestyle. This is Eye on Veterans. Now this next story is going to blow your mind. In fact, I think of all the guests I've had, former Navy SEAL Mike Day is one of the few that's living proof that miracles can happen. This is the description of his new book, Perfectly Wounded. On what would be his final combat mission as a Navy SEAL, Senior Chief Mike Day was shot at close range by four enemy fighters and absorbed a grenade blast. He was shot 27 times. Despite being wounded, Mike was able to neutralize all four enemy combatants, secure two prisoners, rescue six women and children, and evacuate to a waiting helicopter. But more than just a story of combat, his book and the conversation you're about to hear was something that literally changed the way I look at life. Senior, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Man, good to talk to you. And as we heard in the intro there, the highlight reel, if you will, uh, we're getting ready to hear one incredible story. First, I want to get to know a little bit more about Mike day, because from my research, I understand you don't have a superhero cape. You weren't born with a silver spoon and you were no altar boy. Tell me about growing up, man.
1: I think, um, my childhood is a, uh, pretty common, uh, you know, there might have been guys that had to deal with worse, uh, and guys that have dealt with less, uh, as far as uh, being traumatized by by our parents, but I grew up in a very violent household. Um, my father was an alcoholic. Uh, by the age twelve, he had been medically retired uh, from the Navy with schizophrenia. So it was it was very hectic, chaotic. Uh, I didn't understand that it wasn't normal until you know years later. I, I thought everybody's house was like mine. Um, I'm I'm more amazed at the guys that actually grow up in a house. I had good parents, uh, were nurtured, were taught how to, how to do things the right way, and then make it through BUDS. I was able to make it through BUDS and the SEAL teams because my childhood was so was so difficult that I had to figure out as a child how to get through that. The SEAL teams was just easy.
2: Wow. And I think that speaks to something that we see, as I'd said, from a lot of the warfighter stories, is that like there's something you can take from that, and that trauma... And drama, for that matter, isn't unique to the military experience. Although your guys' lives kind of demonstrate a, a, a specific example about how one can get through trauma, uh, you'd experienced it before even coming into the military. Thus, some of the hardest, most elite training in the military didn't seem that difficult to you because you'd been through screaming, yelling, DIs, and you'd been through, you know, uh, some frightful situations already. So
1: I was, I was happy they didn't beat me up like my father did. I was, I was expecting it. <laughs>
2: You certainly made it through, became a SEAL, uh, survived deployments. uh, We're talking Kosovo, Philippines, Middle East. um, Not so much action on the first desert storm, but as uh, you rounded out and became kind of the mature member of the SEAL teams there. um, We'll kind of speed towards April of 2007 and talk about that turnover deployment uh, from what I've learned Turnover deployments, kind of, uh, you guys are on your way out. There's a new team sort of coming in. So you guys are finding the battle rhythm and helping the incoming guys uh, go on some missions with you. And uh, on that night in April 2007, you're hunting an Al Qaeda cell that had been taking out rescue helicopters. Um, you get dropped a few miles away from kind of the target area there. Take me through
1: that night. Okay. Uh, thanks for getting me to there. I, I go off on tangents. you have to pull them back sometimes. We, <laughs> we get on the ground and. We have a, a target package where we're going to hit five buildings. And on the patrol into the, into the target area, uh, overhead asset was telling us they're hearing chatter from bad guys on the ground. Both doesn't know if they're actually talking about us, but they're aware of somebody else. But there's three other um, operations going on in the near vicinity. Uh, so we don't know where it's coming from. We, we changed uh, the target package from hitting five buildings to just one, uh, the one primary one. Uh, we get up to that target building, and we breach the door, have to come back out, uh, go into uh, another entry, and I'm the one that popped that door open. That opened up into a small foyer that had two doors in it with nothing in it but uh, a lantern. So I, uh, I make a simultaneous room entry uh, with Clark. He goes into the door to the on the back wall, and I go to the door on the left, and as I'm coming off my pivot foot, I start getting shot. Everything slows down to frame by frame, and I lose my rifle. I have a complete conversation with myself. Everything's moving frame by frame. I transition to my visit, uh, my my sidearm as I'm falling towards the ground. I'm falling forward. You know, in the movies, they, they show guys getting shot, and they're blowing them backwards, uh, which did happen to one person. That did save his life. I, I'll explain that in a bit. But as soon as I got in the room, they opened up on me before I even came off my pivot foot. So I got my right foot in the door. uh, I cleared the right wall. uh, Went down the left wall. There was a guy down that wall shooting at me. I pulled out my pistol, put about five, six rounds in that guy, watched him die, you know, frame by frame. So three to five seconds from the time I entered that door to the time I hit that ground, it felt like minutes to me. I watched him die, hit the ground. I landed right next to him. Uh, The guy in the center of the room, and this is a small room. This is like 12 by 12. It's a square room, somewhere between 12 by 12 and 15 by 15. uh, Pretty small. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize it at the time, and I didn't even know a grenade had gone off in the room until we did an after action report months later. But he had pulled the pin on a grenade and he was trying to run out of the room and into the hallway on the guys uh, on the rest of the train. And I shot him in the head, and he fell to his knees and blew up and knocked me out. So this is usually. a good time to explain what happened behind me. Uh, so when we enter a room, it's either a two-man or four-man room entry, and you go in left, right, left, right, left, right for a four-man. So behind me, that was my number two guy got shot in the chest and it hit his body armor and knocked him out of the room. That was an Iraqi scout. And the third guy, who was also an Iraqi scout, got shot in the chest and it penetrated his body armor and killed him. And he he died right there in the doorway. Yeah. Clark um, that went into the other the other room. A bullet passed through two doorways and hit him in the back of the, and hit him in the back of the neck, and uh, he wound up uh, dying on target that night. So I'm on the ground unconscious right now, and guys are still trying to get in the room. No SEALs actually saw me go into the room, only Iraqi scouts did. So when they tried to get in the room and there were still two guys sawing up a door jam with AKs, they decided we're not going in there. And they called for status over the radio. Well, I'm unconscious. I couldn't respond. I couldn't have responded anyway because um, I'd later find out that my radio is destroyed. So they decide they're going to leave. They get a good status report. Everybody's outside we're trying to do a running head count. And they were going to use an aircraft to uh, pull up the target. But we have standard operating procedures that we can't drop bombs. Uh, And use call for fire if we don't have a full head count. We don't know where everybody is. So they're trying to get that together.
2: Now, before they do it, though, they got to get that report. And, of course, at this time, you're still in that room. Guys are still laying down fire. So the team's actually backing out uh, from the building. And there you are under a window laying there after a grenade's gone off or a frag. And you're out cold.
1: Well, I'm, I'm waking up at this point. So when I wake up, the guys have already decided they're going to pull back and just blow it up. Um, I wake up and I look across the room and see two guys with AK-47 shooting over top of me at the guys leaving. Uh, one other guy got shot in the arm at this point. And I hate to admit it, but when I first saw that, I was like, man, maybe I should just play possum and wait till they're done and I can just sneak out of here. Uh, it wasn't a thought that lasted for too long before I started re-engaging them. So... I put, like, five or six rounds into the first dude, uh, shot a couple of rounds at the second guy with a grenade, and this is a 15-round magazine. So I wake up, the pistol's still in my hand, I re-engage him, I run that dry. And I don't think they know I'm shooting them at, at this point. I do a magazine change, start shooting again, and they realize that I'm shooting at them. So they stop shooting through the window, re- redirect their fire at me, And some pretty amazing stuff happened here. Had an AK round, hit the foot of the magazine, and it blew the hand grips off the pistol and caused it to malfunction. So I had to clear a malfunction and a drill, what we call tap rack bang.
2: Now stick around, because when we return, we'll hear how retired Navy SEAL Mike Day survived that deadly
1: combat mission. My hand grips were shattered. I could feel the springs in my hand. And I remember the look of surprise on their face when they realized it was me that was shooting.
2: That's ahead when CBS Eye on Veterans returns. Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now in our last segment, we heard retired Navy SEAL Mike Day talk about his new book, Perfectly Wounded. In it, he described a combat mission where he was shot 27 times and absorbed a grenade blast. Yeah, and lived to tell about it. We'll jump back into the part of our interview where he's talking about coming to and realizing he's in a room where terrorists are shooting at his team members. What happened next is nothing short of a miracle.
1: I don't think they know I'm shooting them at this point. I do a magazine change, start shooting again, and they realize that I'm shooting at them. So they stop shooting through the window, redirect their fire at me, and some pretty amazing stuff happened here. Had an AK round, hit the foot of the magazine, and it blew the hand grips off the pistol and caused it to malfunction. So I had to clear a malfunction and a drill, what we call tap-rack bang. You hit the bottom of the magazine to make sure it's seated. you work the slide, and then you pull the trigger. That's that's a malfunction drill. And if it hadn't worked, and it shouldn't have worked because my hand grips were shattered, I could feel the springs in my hand. But it worked, and I, I wound up killing both of those guys. But I think the reason why they, they were so surprised, and I remember the look of surprise on their face when they realized it was me that was shooting, was because when I was unconscious, I think they took the pistol and they stubbed it in my body armor and shot me in the back twice. The reason why I think that is because there's no holes in my body armor that line up with holes in my back. So the, the rounds had to get in my body armor somehow. And I got shot twice in the butt. Well, the first guy I killed was up against the wall. I landed up against him, next to him on my side, on my left side. So somebody had to stand over top of me to shoot me. Um, just got uh, that bullet cut out last year. I had a bullet that they left in my hip that migrated uh over my hip all the way to my stomach fat and i had some friends cut that out but that bullet was in me for quite a bit
2: that's amazing um one because i'm glad to hear stomach fat does come in handy sometimes thank you very much right. senior i'm gonna uh, covet mine from here forward and two i heard you on again marcus latrell and them's podcast um is that the one you wear around your neck
1: yeah, nine zero <laughs> round. Of course I've also the, the way I, I got it. the idea is when the guys collected up all my body armor, an AK round fell out of the not a round, just a just a lead fell out of my body armor, and it has the rifling on it. You can see the rifling, and that's for people that don't know. It's inside a barrel are, are grooves that mm-hmm. make the bullet spin to make it, keep it stable. And when when a piece of lead goes through that, it actually those grooves get engraved into the into the piece of lead that comes out. And you can see that. So that's how we know the bullet was actually shot. But it fell out of my body armor and it's not deformed at all, except for it's flattened on one side. So inside of ten feet, I get hit with an AK, and it doesn't deform around at all. It, it should have blown blown apart.
0: Mm.
2: I've heard you say in other interviews that it was like the Matrix. And, and, and just a minute ago, you said kind of like frame-by-frame frame mental recall. Well, that is an interesting thing that you can do that I think maybe all humans could do if we knew to do it. It must stem from some of the traumas that you've survived. And I hate to be so simple and call it the Matrix mode or like Neo, but your uncanny ability to kind of like slow some things down in your mind things that took place in a millisecond turn into minutes in your mind. Explain kind of how that feels.
1: Well, I'm, I'm trying to pop my computer open. There's actually a scientific term for it. And I've been doing it ever since I was a kid. You know, I was always kind of jumping my bike over stuff that I shouldn't, climbing up trees and falling out of trees. And so it's been happening to me since I was since I was a kid. And in the military, uh, when I was on the Navy parachute team, there was plenty of times where I'd get into a parachute wrap we do canopy relative work so a lot of times you know you hit wind shears and parachutes don't act the way they're supposed to and things start happening really fast uh, but every time that happened time also slowed down for me or i didn't feel like i was stressed to the point where i didn't have enough time to get something done i always felt like i had enough time to get it done it wasn't didn't feel like real time baseball players that can hit a 95 mile an hour fastball there are guys Uh, that stay they they are able to do it a small percentage of people can do that very hard but the guys that can stay it's all slow motion i can see the ball spin i can count the threads on the ball i like to believe that too i think if one human being can do it that means anybody can do it and i like to think that the world's a lot more magical than than we give uh give it credit for and i think the human being's a lot more powerful being than than we know we are
2: so cool so cool. I'll stop you right there because I, I've also interviewed some other guys, uh, SEAL team guys and other special operations folks, um, that are able to kind of, they cha- they take fear and they sort of channel it in a direction. And at all times during your training, there were moments when you guys were really scared. You know, I think of the, uh, what is it? The dunk tank there, the swimming pool exercise where they're trying to tie your, uh, your scuba gear up and, and, and prohibit you from breathing. And you have to be able to slow some situations down in your mind. Go through your checklist carefully and calmly so you're not freaking out in the moment. You're not using all that extra energy and the fear is just driving you and you're acting all wild and arms flailing, but you are internalizing it, taking that real fear of death and moving it and using the energy in a different way. And I think that that's just so incredible when I hear that story of you saying, oh, bullets are whizzing by and I can almost like feel the vapor trails going by my head or uh, you know, impacting parts of my body. And that's just you being able to channel that fear, that stress, that anxiety, amazing stuff.
1: I like to tell people that only difference between feels and most other people is that it's not that they're fearless. They, they have fear, but they do it anyway. Um, but when you get to the point where like, in that instance, you can feel fear before going in or a little anxiety uh, before you jump out of a plane, but you get into that parachute wrap, that fear is gone because it's it's useless at that point. And you got to be in the moment. And when something really bad's happening, it does put you in that moment. It makes you forget everything else because you're so focused on doing what you got to do to survive. You know, that fight or flight, I think you can train it, but fear drives that fight or flight. And what you do with it is, is a matter of training. Now, you see a... I see a lot of reports on people that get shot you know, out in the street. And one of the more common places to get shot is people putting their hands out and they get shot in the palm because their startle flinch is to cover and, and not be aggressive. So a lot of people, when somebody throws a gun in their face, they put their hands up as opposed to, oh, well, I'm going to get shot anyway. I might as well go after this guy and do what I can.
2: I want to leave you this week. With Mike's words about why the book is called "Perfectly Wounded,"
1: kind of the description of my life. I mean, we're all going to suffer trauma. No one, no one gets out, gets through this whole uh, lifetime without being traumatized. And those are wounds. They're either going to push you one direction or the other. It's either going to build resiliency or it's going to take it away from you. For me, it's just it's built my resiliency.
2: And it's veterans like Senior Chief Mike Day and stories like "Perfectly Wounded" that will hopefully instill some resiliency in us all. I'm Phil Briggs, and I'll talk to you again of CBS Ion Veterans. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Thank you for listening. Now, we'd love to hear from you, so follow us on Twitter at ion Veterans, or you can reach me at PhilBriggsVet. I'm always down to get your hot takes and spicy memes. And I'd love to talk to you every week. So please, like and subscribe. Hell, even give us a review of the show. Because the comments and reviews really help us tailor the show to you. Again, I'm Phil Briggs, Navy veteran and reporter with ConnectingVets.com in Washington, D.C. And I look forward to talking to you again on another episode of CBS Audio's Eye on Veterans.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast.